You're listening to Informed, informal chats about theological topics to help us know and understand God together. Informed. Informed. Hi everyone, welcome to Informed. This is Simeon and I'm talking to Dan Hayter from Life Church Peterborough. Hi Dan. Hello, good to be here. Great to have you with us again. We're going to talk today about the kingdom of God, which is a phrase that you find often in the Gospels or the kingdom of heaven if you're reading Matthew. Um is really quite tricky to pin down what it actually means. Uh, the scholars have all sorts of different ideas about what it means, and uh, Christians and churches have uh, different ideas of what it means. Or, or perhaps some of us, sometimes we just say it, use the phrase or read the phrase in our Bible reading, we're just not quite sure uh, what to make of it. So perhaps we should go back to basics and, and ask Dan, what is a kingdom? It's a good question. Uh, yeah, going back to basics is helpful. It helps to demystify things. So I think if we if we were to remove of God from the phrase kingdom of God, I think we would probably all be able to come to a general agreement that a kingdom is, uh, as the name suggests, is about a king or a or queen. But obviously, in this case, it's going to be a king reigning over a particular people within a particular locality or location or nation. Um, and so you've got this idea of a, a ruler people who are submitting to that ruler and a particular area over which they're reigning and so that just helps demystify a little bit of the language of kingdom so we suddenly go ah okay that right we've taken a step back from the overly loaded phrase kingdom of god and we thought what is a kingdom and then just one final thing to throw in in terms of um the difference between the word kingdom in english and the word kingdom in um, greek and hebrew which is the the languages the bible was written in is that uh, in in Greek, which the, the New Testament's written in Greek, the, the term basileia, which is translated as kingdom, um, can have um, the kind of static sense, which we've spoken about, king reigning over a people within a particular nation, but can also have a more kind of active sense of reign. Um, and so not reign or rule. So when you read the phrase, the kingdom of God, you can replace it with the phrase the reign of God and sometimes that helps you get both sides of what's going on whereas in English the word kingdom doesn't tend to imply the idea of the reign um, whereas the word in Greek can have both sides of it so that can be helpful for kind of demystifying it's, it a bit. It's kind of kingdom and kingship. Yes yeah that's yeah. a good way of putting it. So when Jesus comes and proclaims you know repent the kingdom of God is at hand um What's he talking about? Because he doesn't end up with, uh, a, you know, a, a whole country's worth of people um, following him with him ruling from some capital city somewhere. Why is he even talking in those terms? So he's he's Jesus is drawing on a whole load of ideas that his his hearers would have been familiar with from uh, from the Old Testament. Um, and so kind of to, to sum it up in short, there was a Israel would have been living with the hope that one day. God would rule as king over all the nations. Now, obviously, God is king over all of the nations, but the, there would be a day where he is acknowledged as king. And that would involve the restoration of Israel's fortunes. That would involve the defeat of Israel's enemies. That would involve uh, prosperity and joy and peace for Israel and for and for the nations. Um, and also a key element of God reigning as king over Israel and over the nations would involve a human king in the line of David um, who would rule and reign on God's behalf 
over the nations. And so that's very much the hope. So the phrase, the kingdom of God, when Jesus speaks of the kingdom or the reign of God, his hearers would have immediately thought, ah, you're speaking about the moment where a descendant of David comes along and paves the way for God to be able to be ruler over all of the nations and acknowledged as such. Um, and so that that would have been what his hearers would have expected. And to be honest, that's what Jesus is talking about. But the way it actually plays out looked quite different to what what his hearers would have expected. And so you, you mentioned the idea that um, Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God. It's not like he suddenly gets all of the nations suddenly turning to him and he reigns and like end of story. And so this plays into uh, the idea that theologians have called the now and the not yet. And so there's enough evidence from Jesus's teaching, and that's confirmed by the rest of the New Testament, that Jesus understood that the rule or the reign or the kingdom of God had a present aspect to it, um, which you can understand. The king of Israel is there. He's standing in their midst. He's um, acknowledging when his, like his disciples acknowledge at one point that he's the Messiah. And so the kingdom has come in one sense, but there's also a whole load of stuff that would have it, that people would have expected to come with the arrival of the kingdom of God that hasn't happened yet. And so Jesus also uses future language of the kingdom and particularly future language in the sense of uh, the day of judgment. And after the day of judgment, the idea of entering uh, into the kingdom, the kingdom of God fully coming, God being fully enthroned as king and Jesus um, being fully enthroned as king over all nations. And so there is a, a now and a not yet aspect to the kingdom. And incidentally, that's that's actually a really important thing for us to be aware of as Christians, because it helps us to make sense of the strange age that we live in, where we are living with an understanding that the king Jesus has already come, that he is already enthroned in the heavenlies as king, but that we're not yet living at the moment where he is acknowledged as king by everyone. And so we're living in a, an uncomfortable middle ground, the overlap of the ages or the now and the not yet. And that's partly rooted in Jesus's teaching. So perhaps if you've been a first century reader of the Old Testament, you might have expected that the kingdom of God would come to extend over the whole world by the king of Israel gradually conquering more and more territory. Um, but what actually ends up happening is the kingdom of God extends over the whole world by individuals from nations all around the world, one by one, choosing to submit to Israel's king. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and obviously there is also the, the, the future aspect of that. So that's within the age that we live in. The, the You could say the kingdom of God is growing um, through individuals coming to acknowledge Jesus as king. Uh, but there is going to be a day when the kingdom of God fully comes. Um, and that's going to be a moment where everyone, whether they have turned to Jesus or not, confesses that he is king. And so, yes, there's that gradual growth that we see over the present age. Um, but there is going to be a decisive moment when, um, which I think is what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the idea of coming into the kingdom, um, is that idea of on that final day, there are those who are accepted as Jesus's loyal subjects within his kingdom. And there are those who are rejected and cast outside. But within the age that we live in, we're living in an age where this reign or rule of Jesus is growing through individuals coming to acknowledge Jesus as the king. And it's interesting to see the kind of language that Jesus uses to talk about our relationship with the kingdom. Um, you see him talking about uh, people entering the kingdom or being in the kingdom or receiving the kingdom or possessing the kingdom. But it's interesting, he doesn't really seem to think in terms of us, 
people extending the kingdom or building the kingdom. Um, which is funny because we we tend to talk in that kind of language. What do you think is going on there? Yeah, so I think p- part of it is um, over time you end up developing language that isn't that isn't biblical in the sense that it's not the exact language that the Bible uses, uh, but that may well represent something that is biblical, but is described in other words. And I think sometimes people use the language of extending the kingdom. Um, The healthiest way in which I think it's used is when people are talking about evangelism and people coming to know Jesus and the idea that the church is extending the kingdom. Um, But it is interesting that the, the New Testament doesn't use that language. And um, you could accuse me of being picky here, but I think the language we use does matter. And I do wonder whether part of the reason that um, the language of the kingdom growing is is in the New Testament, um, but it's not linked so much with the church making the kingdom grow. And I wonder whether it's to put the emphasis on the fact that um, Jesus is the one who's the king. He's the one whose reign and rule is growing but the language that the New Testament tends to use of the church is more along the lines of proclaiming the kingdom uh, the, or proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, proclaiming the fact that Jesus is king. Um, and I just wonder whether it puts the emphasis on the fact that God's the one and Jesus is the one who's king. We're proclaiming that the kingdom has come. And every time people acknowledge the kingship of Jesus, there's a sense in which the kingdom grows. But I'm not sure the New Testament uses the language of Christians expanding or growing the kingdom and so i think it it just means we have to really think carefully about what we mean by that i think we can mean something healthy but it can end up being a little bit confusing sometimes Mm. and the other thing it can help us with is is just remembering that the kingdom of god involves people submitting to the king Um, and so if if we take the values that we find in the kingdom and use those to uh, make our workplace better that's brilliant um, but that's not extending the kingdom in Jesus' way of talking about it anyway, I don't think. Because yeah, I'd agree, yeah. Yeah, you're not bringing people into submission to the king. You're just taking some things that you learned in the kingdom and using them to bless people outside the kingdom. Yes, I suppose that, that that's probably a good rule of thumb for deciding um, if if are we going to call this are we going to call this kind of work a kingdom work? I think the rule of thumb is uh, does it involve proclaiming and people acknowledging that Jesus is king? And I think if it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's not a good work. It doesn't mean it's not something that we're not called to do. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's not a brilliant thing to be involved in. But I think we do need to make sure that we use the language of kingdom in order to refer to Jesus reigning and ruling as king. And so in that sense, if we're going to talk about the idea of advancing the kingdom, that is going to involve people coming to acknowledge Jesus as king. Um, sim- like having a more just environment in your workplace is great. And I think it's something that's really good for us as Christians to look to look to do but we can't necessarily use that interchangeably with the kingdom of god because that might not mean that people are confessing and acknowledging jesus as lord it may be that you have used your wonderful spirit-filled christian skills to create that kind of culture but unless people are acknowledging jesus as lord i think we reserve the language of kingdom for that kind of thing rather than generally doing good cool well if you want to think about this in more depth then do uh, take a listen to the full length podcast but for me uh, for now it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me